0: God, we just want to put you as a center right now at this moment. We cast aside every distraction, all their hindrances. God, we look to you. Father, today, this day, is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about how I feel or what I feel like, who I am. But Lord, it's the identity that is found in Christ. So, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that God, you instill within us confidence that comes from you and you alone. Holy Spirit, guide us today. I pray now as you transition to your message, I pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O God. For God, nothing can be hidden from you, O God. When the light shines, everything is shown for what it is. Father, help me to be worthy before you, God, to be able to bring this offering to you, Father. Thank you for everything that you have done for me. Thank you for everything you have done for this church. Thank you for everything that you are doing. In our lives, we glorify your name. Father, we thank you, we love you. Pray all these things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. And God's people pray. Amen. And amen. Welcome to week four of Advent. And today, the title is called, let's say it together. Ready? Okay, good. For love. Turn to your neighbor and say, for love. I want to start with this that there is a God uh, out there who loves you. Uh, there's a God out there who knew you before you were born, before even time came to be, before this earth was even formed. God even knew, he knew and he predestined you. While you were in your mother's womb, he knew you and he had a plan for you. Now there's a documentary called Dark Days and I encourage you guys to watch it. And this documentary, it's about people who live in darkness. Literally, they live on the ground to avoid light. A lot of them, they say things like, if they have fear, that light will judge them. Fear that light will not accept them. For they will not be accepted in society, for they live on the ground, in the sober, in the dark. But the truth is that there is a God out there who loves you, who will not reject you. Meaning, if we repent and we turn to God, God will accept us despite our lies, despite our evil tendencies, our evil ways. He will accept us if we repent to him and we run to our father. Meaning there's a God out there who loves you for you. Not by your name, not by your title, not by fame, not by popularity, not by the money that you have in your bank account, but he accepts you today when we repent to him. The world may judge your appearance, the world may look at you and they may, they may look at your last name and they may look at your past image, the reputation that you used to have. But God, he sees you for who you are. There's a father who loves you and who accepts you. Not for your accomplishments, not for the degree that you have, not for the education that you have, not for the resume that you have built for yourself, but simply by his mercy, he loves you for you. There's a God out there who knows you inside and outside, inside, out. He knows everything, even right now. The struggle that you're going through, the tiredness that you have, the tears that you have in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, when you're questioning the stage, the, the place that you're in in life. God knows you inside and outside. And who is this God? Who is this God? This God is, the Bible says, his name is Yahweh. His name is Elohim. His name is Adonai, meaning my Lord. His El Shaddai, Almighty, Avenger, Abba, meaning Father, Abba Father, Advocate, Almighty, Alpha and Omega, meaning he's the beginning and the end. He's the Shepherd, He's the Comforter, He's the Creator, He is Christ, the King, Deliverer, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He is the faithful and true, his Holy One, He's the High Priest, and He is the great I am. His name is Jesus Christ. And that is why we're here at church today. Fourth event leading up to Christmas service this coming Wednesday. So today we're gonna focus on Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is going to be the focus of our of today's message, and it's gonna be the guideline of the whole sermon. Now, I'm going to divide it into five different characters, but Luke 7, pretty much it pretty much sums up who Jesus is and who our God is. If you really want to do an in-depth study of the life of Jesus, yes, you have to read the whole gospel, you have to read the whole Bible, you have to understand God in the Old Testament, for you to understand Jesus in the New Testament, you have to have a holistic view of God, of Jesus Christ, but... If you wanna look at the preview, like you know when you watch a movie, you watch a preview or you just wanna just look at something short, then you go ahead and you watch the preview. Luke seven is what happens. It sums up who Jesus is and who our God is. For love he came, the savior is born. So again, what's the title? For love, for love he came, for love he came. Turn to your neighbor and say for love he came that is why jesus had come now let's take a look let's look at our first character our first character today his name is centurion well his title is centurion his name is not centurion but his title is centurion aka also known as a pagan meaning he is the enemy of the jewish faith let's take a look verse 1 through 10 It says this, the title, it says, if you have your Bible, the title of verse 1 through 10, it says the faith of the centurion. So I'm going to go ahead and read. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick, and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him asking to come and heal the servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So what's happening here? This guy, centurion, is a military Roman officer in a high position. He pleads the Jewish men to go ahead and to plead with Jesus to help who? To help save and to help heal his servant. And later we're going to go ahead and talk about this because we're going to have a full understanding of verse 1 through 10. So let's, let's continue reading. Verse 6. So Jesus went with them. He was not from, from, the, from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I'll tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel, meaning among, even amongst the Jews, I have not found such great faith. Then the man who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. So again, centurion is a Roman military officer who commanded a century. Century meaning hundred, so 80 to 100 soldiers would be under him. He'd be in charge. He was a leader among leaders. Usually the backbone of the Roman army. He's in charge of disciplining his soldiers. So this man, this this powerful man, he comes and he humbly asks these others to go ahead and to reach out to Jesus and to plead for his case, for his cause. What was his cause? His cause was that his servant was sick and he needed help. Meaning he's showing tremendous humility. He's saying that I do not deserve to have you, Jesus, teacher, to come under my roof. Therefore, he goes and he asks the others to go ahead and to plead his case. So during the Roman time, there are two types of centurions. Number one, who donated to the Jewish community and they were well-respected. In this case, he falls under category one, first category. He was a well-respected soldier. He was a military officer and he was part of the Jewish community. Number two, others, these other centurions, they would harass the Jewish community. Therefore, they would be hated by the Jewish community. So we understand right here that he has a good relationship with the Jewish community. Because right in verse 4, it says, this man, they they pleaded, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this, Jesus, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Synagogue. Meaning he has credibility. But either way, centurions are known as pagans in the eyes of the Jewish eyes. So you can say that this passage, instead of saying the faith of the centurion, it should literally say the faith of the pagan. Because centurions are not accepted in the Jewish community. Meaning if you're a centurion, a leader in the military, meaning while you're serving in the military, they're not allowed to get in a marriage to have a wife because you're in active duty. So therefore, a centurion, literally their family would be a servant. In this case, his servant was his family. And was pleading for his case. And they and they, and they, they grew close. It became a family unit with his servant. There was true loyalty among them, and therefore he wanted his servant to be saved. That's why he pleaded with the Jews, with the elders, please tell Jesus to go ahead and to save and to heal my servant. And we see here the centurion, he sends the elder because he knows his place. Again, it shows humility. He could have used force, right? He is a military man. He tells soldiers go, and they go. He tells them to come, and they come. He was a man with authority. He could have used force and forced Jesus or forced the elders to tell Jesus to go and to do this and do that. But instead, he asked an elder to humbly ask Jesus. Let's continue reading. Verse 4 to 8. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. at the answer of the centurion. What does Jesus say? In verse nine he says, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. The servant was healed. Jesus, despite the fact that this enemy, this centurion was an enemy to the Jewish community. Again, Jesus was what? He was Jewish himself. Even though they were hated But the Jewish community. Jesus commands him by saying, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So we see Centurion, who is not a Jewish man, his servant is healed, and he is commanded by Jesus. I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. That's the first character. Second character, let's go ahead. Dive into the second character that's found in Luke chapter 7, is the widow. Turn to your neighbor and say, widow. Widow, aka also known as homeless, meaning no worth, no name. Let's go ahead and read verse 11 through 17. Verse 11 through 17, it says this. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bear. They went carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, Get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is all happening in this one chapter here, in chapter 7. We just saw the healing of the servant of the centurion. Now we see that Jesus, he raises a widow's son back to life. Jesus literally, he interrupts a funeral. He literally goes and he breaks the party and he goes and he says, and who in the right mind will ever go and, and enter a funeral that you're not invited to? We don't drive by on the street. We see a funeral. Oh, wow, fun party. Can I go? And then you ask and you invite yourself in. You show respect by not getting yourself involved. Who in their right mind will do this? Jesus. Our Christ, he does. He, what he does is he interrupts by touching the dead coffin, which was breached to the Jewish law. He is not allowed to be doing this. The custom is, it's very strict. The Jewish community, especially with funeral, when someone passes away, we usually give a cushion of maybe three, four days, and then the weekend, and then we have the funeral. But in this case, in the Jewish community, usually within 24 hours, you have the funeral. So you understand this is a very conservative, strict culture. Jesus goes, he invites himself, and he touches the dead coffin, which he is not allowed to do. It will leave Jesus exposed to being unclean. A woman of no worth, no reputation, no inheritance, no name, a homeless person. Jesus stops, and he saves her. Again, why is she compared to being homeless? Because women at that time, They could not go ahead and buy land on their own. They would need a husband to protect them, to care for them. And then if their husband passed away, their son would be next in line to take care of them. If their son passes away, the scripture says her only son, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. So when the Bible tells us that she was a widow, meaning it meant that she was hopeless, she was homeless, she had no hope. And Jesus, it says, his heart, the scripture tells us that his heart went out to her in verse 13. So we see that Jesus, not only does he help a centurion who is the enemy of the Jewish community, he goes and he helps a nobody, a woman of no worth, a widow. He stops at a funeral. He didn't need to, but he does it because his heart went out to her. Who do you resonate today? with so far the centurion maybe you're a person of authority maybe you're a person with reputation maybe you're a person who has influence do you have the humility like the centurion to humble yourself and to plead with Jesus for your case or are you like this widow who is hopeless beyond hopelessness she cannot help herself She's lost and she needs help. She's not even going and asking Jesus to help her. Jesus, he sees her. He saw her from the distance. He saw the funeral. And it says his heart went out to this woman. Again, this woman is of no worth. In the eyes of the world, of no worth. She has no reputation. She has no inheritance. She has no name. But Jesus goes and he interrupts a funeral and he helps this woman. Let's go to our third character, which is found in this story as well, the dead son. Who is the dead son? AKA the young man, the only son of the mother in the same funeral that's happening. And we see here that we understand in life that death is final. In life, after death, there's nothing else. There's no coming back from death. There's no such thing as zombies. There's no such thing as being revived again or being frozen in ice and coming back. There's no way those things can happen. Death means the end, and that's the final end of our journey in this life. This man, this young man, out of all the story that we're going to talk about here, out of all the characters, he's the most hopeless because he had died. Verse 13 to 15, it says, When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier, and they were carrying him on and the bearer stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And what does it say? Jesus gave him back to his mother. Let's read, let's read that together. Starting from, Jesus, starting from Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus gave him back to his mother. So what was his gift? His gift was he gets a second chance. He gets to live. He gets to be reunited with his mother. What was the gift for the mom? She gets her one and only son back. And they get to be reunited. I mean, Luke 7 is just like, pow, pow, pow. It, just, it doesn't end. Jesus just doesn't stop. Let's keep going. Let's go to our fourth character. We're doing five characters total. Let's go to our fourth character. Our fourth character today is John the Baptist. Jesus says, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. That's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. Imagine if Jesus had said this about you. The, The man who received the greatest shout out in the entire gospel. We're talking about John the Baptist. He was a little bit older than Jesus, but he came and he baptized people with water. He was the one that prepared the way for Jesus, for Jesus to come. So far, who do you resonate with? The centurion? The widow? Dead son? Maybe you feel dead inside. You feel like your faith has died. You feel like there is no tomorrow. You're filled with depression are you like john the baptist the perfect example of what it means to be perfectly obedient to jesus but here if we look at this passage you know john is a very interesting character because he starts questioning here in this passage in verse 18 to 28. let's look at verse 19. Uh, well let's look at the start from verse 18 actually john's disciples told him about all these things. So the context is John is in prison right now, and he's hearing all the miracle and all the stuff that Jesus is doing outside of prison. So he's not allowed to leave the prison. He's not, he's not able to. So he, he hears all the things. John says about his disciples, told him about all these things, calling of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? What does he do? he sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus to ask, are you really the Messiah? He's asking, are you truly the one? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So in verse 20, when the men, the disciple of John, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else. They literally relay the message word by word. They are perfect messengers. I mean, perfect in relaying their message. If I had asked one of the guys here to like, ask a question and then relay the message, I'm pretty sure they're going to twist everything up and they're going to like say something different. Okay, what was the question again? I mean, these are true disciples of John. They literally, word for it, they ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else. So John the Baptist, why, when he gets the craziest uh, shout out from Jesus, I mean the honor, among those born of women there is no one greater than John, how can John, who exemplifies a perfect obedience before God, how can he question Jesus at this moment? We have to understand, we need to have a full understanding of the mindset of the Jewish people at this time. John the Baptist along with all the Jews at this time, they thought that the Messiah would come in power and will overthrow the Roman Empire. That this Messiah would come with authority with military power and he will come and destroy the Roman Empire. They were, the Jews were under the oppression of the Roman Empire and they thought this Messiah, the Savior will come with power, with charisma and he will come and destroy all the wrong, all the oppression, everything that the people, his Jewish people are going through and they, and they will liberate them. They were second guessing. They're, they're, they're doubting the very essence and the presence and the character of the Messiah that they've been waiting since the beginning of time, from the days of the prophets, all the prophecies that were told, that the Savior will come and to rescue them. So how can John the Baptist question and doubt by asking, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Again, John the Baptist, along with other disciples, the Jewish people, they were confused. John knew that the Messiah was here, but John did not fully understand John is asking, why is Jesus going and helping a centurion, an enemy of our faith? Why is he going and stopping and, uh, at a funeral? Why is he helping this widow of no name, no reputation, this woman who is of no worth? Why is he going around helping this person? Why is he, helping to, to, why is he going to the nobodies? Why is he going to the enemies of our people? The Roman, the widow, the prostitute. Why is Jesus doing all these different things? Doesn't he know what kind of state our Jewish people, the Jewish nation, the chosen people are under? He needs to come and liberate us. He needs to come and protect us and lead us with power. They expected a powerful Savior, a Messiah to come and liberate them from the oppression of Rome, the most powerful nation and empire at that time. But instead, Jesus, what does he do? He comes quietly. He came quietly born in Bethlehem, not in a palace in the center of Rome, not in a castle, but he was born in Bethlehem, in a tiny place, in a manger where the animals lie. Nobody knew, nobody was expecting that the Messiah would come in such a humble way. So we see that Jesus came quietly at the age of 30, one by one, touching and changing lives, one by one. One by one, quietly, he's touching lives. So John the Baptist, he's confused. That's why he sends his messengers, his disciples to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? He's saying, Jesus, you're the Messiah, come and liberate us from the oppression from the enemy. What are you doing? Why are you wasting time? It's like when we went to the homeless outreach last week on Sunday. People may look at our story in social media or people may see us on the street. You know, we saw a lot of eyes watching us, especially when, uh, when one of our, guys, I'm not gonna say who, they're like watching intently. So I was watching and just making sure you guys are safe, but like they may be asking why? Why are they wasting their time? What's the point? They should just donate it to the shelter. They should do it wisely. They should do it in a smart way. Why are they even going one by one? It's because Jesus went. And he literally went and saved people one by one. John the Baptist, he didn't understand. He couldn't understand. Why is Jesus wasting his time? Saving a Roman, a widow, a dead son, People of nobody no names so far the characters that we talked about they have no names they have no names so you may feel like you're not important you may feel like you're lost and God doesn't know you but I'm here to remind you that Jesus he sees you and he knows you he knows who you are just like in the beginning There's a God out there who knows you. There's a God out there who loves you. He had a plan for you. Before you were even born, he knew you. The Bible tells us. And that is the truth. Verse 22. So he replied to the messengers. He tells the disciples to tell John the Baptist, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. What does he say? The blind receive sight. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Literally, Jesus, He lives. He doesn't just talk, but He walks. He walks the talk. He literally acts it out. He lit his whole life is a testimony of his humility. Not let alone God becoming fully man the incarnation of Jesus that alone is humility enough there's no single act humility greater than God residing among us living among humans the incarnation coming in the form of a baby there's no single greater act of humility than that but we see it all throughout the story of Jesus the palm the donkey when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, the symbol of humility of a donkey, a warrior would come. I, if, I, if I knew I was a king, I wouldn't come in a donkey. If I knew if I was like the king or the champion, I wouldn't be rolling up in a, a championship fight in a, in a Kia or Hyundai. You would come in Rolls Royce or McLaren. You want the best car for yourself. But Jesus, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. Symbolizing humility. When Jesus is anointed at Bethany with the alabaster jar, with the humility, born, being born in Bethlehem, being born in a manger, we see that the life of Jesus, literally everything points to the humility and the character of who our God is. That our God is good and that there's no one like our God. All this was a setup. It was to reveal and to show us a revelation, the truth of the heart of God. And what is the heart of God? For love. That is why He did it. For love, He came. He came and He healed the centurion's servant. He came and He helped the widow who was hopeless, who was homeless, who had no hope. A town of Nain. Literally, I've visited the town of Nain in Israel and I've seen it. And my professor, he literally went out of the way to show us the town of Nain. We were watching it and he explained the story of the town of Nain exactly what happened. That was while a funeral was happening. It was a small town. You should have just walked away. But Jesus, he stops and his heart went out to her. He sees her, he saw her, just and he sees you today. You may feel like you're not seen, you may feel like you're not important, but Jesus, he sees you because you are worth it. Jesus, he knows you. For love, for love, he came. Many leaders, the Jewish leaders, including John the Baptist, they thought the Messiah would come in power and overthrow the old and bring in the new. That's what they were thinking. That's what John the Baptist was asking. Are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? They were expecting a man of charisma, leadership, and strength. And yes, Jesus has all that. Before charisma, he has integrity, character. That's who he is. He has leadership. But not in the leadership of this world where you're in the front and you're calling people to do this, do this, and that, 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 that which I find myself doing a lot of times, being in the front, trying to do things. A lot of us, we like to do things in the front. like to be in the podium to do things, point people out to do this. But that's not the leadership. It says the least. What does it say? The least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Jesus is saying that if you are the least, if you are humble, that is true leadership. That in Christ, that we're gonna become greater than John. You and I, we are greater than John the Baptist. Do you understand? John the Baptist is up here. But he says that we can become greater than John when we humble ourselves, and that is leadership. Strength. Jesus is not some bully. He goes around and bullies people. What does Jesus say when he's about to be crucified? He says, I could send angels to destroy everyone. But he is allowing this to happen, for this is the will of God. Tremendous strength, but not in the strength that we know as strength, of the worldly strength, of power and fame, but humility. In humility. And we see in history, and I love history, with dictators and all these people. Not that I look up to them or have posters on their wall. I wanna be, some people are crazy and they probably, I don't know, who knows? They're like, oh, I wanna be like Hitler. And they get the mustache. But we see what happens with people, with power. They all fall. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. We know the end of all human beings, that we all fall. But in Christ, even when we fall and we die, We have life in heaven with God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Just to remind you again, Isaiah 53, it's a prophecy that is told of Jesus, and we've been on this, we've been on Isaiah 53, we've talked about Luke 7, uh, the first week, with the message "Evan Hope, when we talked about the prostitute, which is going to be the fifth character but we see in Isaiah 53, that we see the prophecy that was told of Jesus and it says, "He grew up before him like a tender shoot. It's talking about the, the Messiah and like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to, to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone Gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted; yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a, a le- he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. So what do we see in Isaiah 53? That the Messiah had no beauty to attract us to him, majesty. Nothing in the appearance of Jesus Christ while he was doing his ministry. Nothing about his appearance that we should desire. So when we see picture Jesus in our mind or when we see paintings of Jesus, we see this beautiful, handsome, like yellow hair and perfect eye, blue eyes and everything. You have to understand that Jesus is not that painting. He is in the Middle East. His skin is dark, nothing physically about him that was attractive. It says nothing in his appearance that we should desire. It actually says that he was despised and rejected by mankind, which he was. He was rejected. He was a man of suffering and familiar with pain, which he was. Like the one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised. They were ashamed of him. They did not want to associate with this man, with this Messiah. We see it in the story when Jesus is killed. When he's he's been crucified. All of his disciples, they were nowhere to be seen. They hide their faces. He was despised and we held them in low esteem. He took up your pain and bore your suffering. Yet we consider him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for the iniquities. The punishment that brought us us well, peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. The people had no idea. John the Baptist had no idea that Jesus was not that kind of leader, not according to the eyes of the world. Jesus did not come to bring war, to overthrow the Roman Empire, and to fight. But Jesus came to bring peace. For love, He came. For love. For love. That is why the Christ had come. That is why we celebrate Christmas. Not for the gifts, the lights, and the vacations that we have, or the food that we enjoy, but for love. He had come. And no one at that time saw it clearly. He had no beauty or majesty. In verse 2, Isaiah 53, verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The Messiah had come, but not with noise or out of royalty. But he came out of manger. A manger. He came quietly. He came to a woman named Mary from the town of Nazareth. Nazareth is a very small, insignificant, set-apart town that is not important. That's like Jesus is not, that's like saying, like, I'm not from New York, I'm from like, I don't know, some little town, and no offense to Wisconsin, or I don't know, somewhere, Idaho, or from there, literally Jesus is from a small place even John the Baptist was confused even John the Baptist was confused that's why he sent his disciples "Are you don't want who is to come or should we expect someone else and what does Jesus say go back and tell them tell him this report this the blind receive sight the lame walk Those who have leprosy are are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Again, Jesus changing the world one by one. Look at the history of our church, one by one. I still remember when KP first came, she thought she was so cool, you Syracuse girl, you know. (laughs) And then she didn't come back for like, I don't know, was it like a few months, because you were in school? And then when Yoon came, tough guy, <laughs> RIT, RIT, right? And then Jonathan, when, he, when I saw him, senior year, with his sister Jamie, I thought Jonathan was such a tough guy, but Jonathan is such a nice guy. <laughs> Image and him is so different. I remember when Arlene came, she thought she was so cool. Yeah, Pinoy power. Heeji, Angela, I thought Angela was a fob. <laughs> I remember every single one, the way that we came. And there's, it's, it's beautiful because there's a story to that. There's substance to one by one. And that's what Jesus did. One by one, he came and he saved these individuals. Yes, Jesus did amazing, big things too. Feeding the 4,000, feeding the 5,000. But that's not what saved these people. It was a miracle that they witnessed. But miracles cannot keep your faith. You have to understand that. Faith can only keep your faith in God and faith alone, and that's it. If all you expect are lights and flashy things, then you will eventually burn out because that's not what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about picking up the cross daily, dying to yourself every day, and living the life as Jesus Christ had lived. That's what Jesus said, go back and report this. The blind receive sight, they walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is changing the world one by one. And how did Jesus change the world? Um, just three quick things, I'm gonna just go with Go go, go by real quick. Uh, Number one, he was obedient. So, number one, obedience. Number two, love. And number three, humility. All of these three were together. Again, number one, obedience. Number two, love. Number three, humility. In life, guys, no matter how big or how small you become, never forget these things that God desires obedience from you more than your sacrifice, more than what you could put in the offering with money. God doesn't care about the money, the amount, for he owns the whole world. There's nothing that we can do to give more or to give less before God because God is the owner of everything. Always remember, obedience is everything. God desires obedience from you, to listen to his voice and to follow his call. Number two, love. You need to love. You need to love God. You need to love Jesus Christ. You need to love your neighbors. You need to love your enemies. You need to pray for them. You need to forgive. You need to love. You need to live in in love as Christ lived in love. For love he came. And number three, humility. Why is humility important? Because without humility, you cannot repent. Repentance is everything. What does repentance mean? Repentance means it's to change. It's an act of action. It's to change your mind. It's to humble yourself, saying, Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, I messed up today. Please forgive me of my sins. You need humility as Jesus lived with humility. You need to have these three things together. Again, number one, obedience. Jesus was obedient to his call, to the will of the Father. It says in Isaiah 53.10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer and make his life an offering for sin. Jesus' life was an offering for sin. How did people, how were their sins were able to be forgiven in the Old Testament? They took an animal. We talked about this. It's not just any animal. It's an animal that lived with you. So it's like your pet. Imagine dually, taking dually. You take it to the tabernacle, you take it before God, and you have the high priest kill it with blood, and the blood is an offering. It literally, I'm, it's a scapegoat for my sin. My sins are going on this animal, and through the blood, the sacrifice, your sins are washed. So when we see the life of Jesus, when he's wrapped in a blanket, born in a manger, in the home, where Jesus is literally, it's a foretelling, it's a prophecy of telling Jesus, he's going, to be, he's going to eventually grow up. This lamb of God is going to grow up, and he will die on the cross, and his blood, once and for all, when it's shed, the blood will wash away your sins. Why is blood so important in the Bible? It's found all throughout the Bible. Even in the story of Egypt, with Moses, the spirit of death, it passed over, and they had to put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And then the spirit of death passed over. Therefore, as Christians, when we have the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives, the spirit of death, it passes over us, and we have life. We have eternity with God. Again, Jesus heals obedience to the will of the Father. It was Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer, to make his life an offering for sin. Jesus knew that he was the only sacrifice that could save all humanity, all of us, all of our sins. I mean, just imagine all the sins committed by you, 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 me, not just in this time in 2019, but all of history from the beginning of time. From the future, all the sins piled up, putting it all together. If you put, to put it on a scale, and Jesus Christ is one individual, and the death, the offering of sin of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the weight of all the sin of the world, if you put it on a scale, it will not overweigh the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. There's no more, no need for another sacrifice. For his blood is everything. That's why Jesus was obedient. Because his mission was the most important mission in all of history, present, and future for all of time. That's why he was obedient. If Jesus was obedient even to his death on the cross, who are we as Christians, as followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, to not be obedient to him? to love Jesus he had love for the broken world for God so loved the world the world I'm talking about the broken world or in other words filthy world right Hiji the filthy world for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life for love humility Again, what are the three things? Obedience, love, humility. Have these three things in your life, in your journey, in your personal journey with God. And last character, last character, fifth character we're going to talk about today is uh, the sinful woman. Turn to your neighbor and say, sinful woman. A.K.A. also known as a prostitute. Uh, morally loose she is a sinner uh, we don't know what kind of sin but we can only speculate that she is a, when it says sinful woman that she was a prostitute okay let's go ahead and read verse 36 to verse 50 again this is the last character we're almost done when I kind of linger on this passage too much because again we talked about this in the first week of Advent in the message hope So again, the title is called Jesus Anointed by a Sinful Woman. Okay, let's go ahead and read. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, "If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner." Jesus answered, "Simon, Simon, it's not talking about Simon the Peter. Simon is the Pharisee. The name of the Pharisee here. So he's talking to Pharisee, the Simon." the owner of the house, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay them back, so he forgave, meaning he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven, canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has perfume, poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And the question I want to ask you, have you been forgiven little? Is that why you love God so little? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you have been forgiven much, you will love much. How big are the debts, the sins that you have carried over the years? Jesus, he literally violates all social taboos during this time. Right? He continues to reach out to people who are like people are shocked. Like Jesus is literally, I don't know, I don't know if you guys understand like who Jesus is. Like he's not like this guy who steps in line and just does everything. This nice guy does everything. He's he literally goes and flips tables in the temple and he gets like upset and well, righteous anger, right? Because people were violating God's, God's holiness. And like he literally, he, 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 he reaches out to those who are racially, economically, religiously, and morally different, different people. He goes out and he has a meal with them. So to understand how the setting works, this banquet, you could say this is a banquet here, that this event is, is an event where virtuous teachers, they will come, and people who thought they were smart, like professors, people who thought they were in a high position, people in high position will come. These people are here, gather here in this place. It's a place where she is among men, highly conservative men in the Middle East. If you've ever been to the Middle East, you understand how conservative it is. But this woman, again, she is so courageous. And we understand here that Jesus, he knows how fake this banquet is right now. They're there to lift themselves up. They invited this teacher out of town. They make themselves look good. They think they're cool, they're popular. But Jesus, he knew how tiring and double standard and fake these gatherings were, the people who were in this dinner. But Jesus is here at this house meeting this sinful woman. Again, she has no name because he's trying to teach these leaders, these teachers, these Pharisees what it means to have humility. And also he's trying, he's there. It's it's God-ordained time. It wasn't an accident that Jesus is here in this house because he's here seeing this woman, this sinful woman, so that he could encounter her and she could encounter him. Jesus knew that these Pharisees were like tombs, whitewashed tombs. What is a whitewashed tomb? You know, when I die, I don't want a nice tomb. <laughs> I mean, does it really matter? No matter how beautiful or how beautiful your coffin is, what's inside is dead. There's nothing we can do. And I'm not here to suspect anyone who spends a lot, or no, that's not my point. My point is let's not forget what is inside the tomb, what is inside the grave. Jesus literally calls these Pharisees, you whitewash tombs, because on the outside in Israel, these tombs were white. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside is full of dead bones, people who have no faith, and as a Christian. And I pray. And this week was very difficult for me, in a sense where I was very distracted. I felt a lot of attacks come. That I was. That my prayer, even this week, my, my prayer and everything that I ask before, guys, God, God, no matter what, help me to never just to perform or just to put on, just to put on the motion, go through the motions. When we have services, when we have service, when I give a message, I don't, I never want to give just because I have to give. But God, I want to do it from the conviction with my heart. And I miss those days back in the day when I would preach in front of one or two people. I remember with tears falling down when I prepare, tears would fall, and I, I miss those days because it was so right and pure before God. And I find myself getting lost. I ask God to bring me back to the rightful place. I don't want to be a whitewashed tomb. I look good on the outside. We come to church, we look good. We want to look good. All these Christian lingos, but behind the scenes, behind the curtains, they have all these things that we're doing in secret, the compromises that we're doing, and that's what these Pharisees were doing, clean on the outside, but dead inside, like a gravestone. This woman, in the midst of that, she comes. She is, again, if you go back to the message, she was a courageous sinner. Right? She was so courageous. She was rejected by the world, but she was accepted by the king, Jesus Christ. What does Jesus do here in the story? He protects her. He praises her. He says, "Simon, when I came into your house, do you see this woman?" When I came into this house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Why would she wash the feet of Jesus with her hair, with her tears? Why? When hair is everything for a woman. Why? Why would she not stop wiping the feet of Jesus? You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Jesus tells her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And therefore, she receives the greatest hope, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So the question: Have you been forgiven much? Take a moment to answer. Or have you been forgiven little? If you've been forgiven little, you will love little. If you've been forgiven much, you will love much. Have you been forgiven much, then you must love him the most. The bigger your sins, the depth, the more the, the, be- the more you better run to him, not away from him. Because your sins are not greater than the worth, the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We talked about the weight, the scale of the sins of all of man. There's no sin that is greater that can outweigh the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus Christ. It cannot. If you think that you are not good enough, if you think that your sins are so deep that you are somehow in a place where you are not able to be saved, then you are twisted and the devil has taken hold of your mind. That is not the truth that's what the devil wants you to think but that is not the truth his sacrifice jesus is always enough say that to yourself he is enough he is enough for me say it say it in your heart jesus is enough for me therefore when you feel guilty when you feel like you had there's so much weight and pressure all around, and you just want to quit. Always remember to run to Him, not away from Him. Run to Him. Run to your Father, like the prodigal son. Run to Him, for He is waiting for you. He's waiting for you. So, Luke 7 literally sums up the character of Jesus. Like who he is, why he came here on this earth. For love. For love he came to save a servant. No, literally nobody had names here except for John the Baptist. And he gets the shout out too. There's no man born or woman greater than John the Baptist. Like, ooh, but John the Baptist is the only one here that's questioning. It's like, are you don't want to come or should we expect something else? But we understand that they're in a church and society is full of all different people with all different levels and walk and experiences from our past. But the goal is the same. It's to encounter the living Jesus Christ. For love he came. For love he saved you. Yun. For love he died. For love he came and sacrificed himself so that we can have life. With that, I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Let's not worry about who's sitting next to us. This is between you and God. And I want to ask you this final question, this question as we're closing. And the question that I want to ask you is Who are you today? Who are you today? Ask yourself right now with your eyes closed Who am I today? Who am I? Not yesterday not a few months ago, not who you were during missions, not last year, or not who you used to be when you were a child. Meaning, who are you right now? Right now, today, in 2019. As we're finishing 2019, who are you right now? Are you like the centurion? A man of influence, leader among leaders. By such humility, to plead, not his case for himself, he couldn't force himself. But he asked the elder to come and plead his case. Or are you like, or is your name the widow, the title? Or is your title the widow's son? You feel like you're dead, your faith has died. Or are you like John the Baptist, great but doubtful, filled with many questions? Or is your title a prostitute aka the sinful woman who are you today
1: right now no matter who you are no matter where you are no matter what you have done no matter what you're going through right now Jesus Christ is enough for love he came for love he came one by one he came he touched and he saved these individuals and he has come and he has touched your life the fact that you have
0: a relationship with Jesus Christ is the greatest blessing that you will ever receive for all of eternity for this lifetime and for all of eternity you do
1: not need to hide today be at peace for your king is here for he has come for Christ has been born for love he has come the answer is come as
0: you are, come as you are not as you should be come as you are for love has come. Come as you are. For love has
1: come. The truth is, no matter how big your sins are, no matter how mi- big of a mistake that you feel like that you are, you will be forgiven. You will be forgiven for His love covers all your sins
0: on your iniquities. But you can only be forgiven. Only if you run to Jesus. Only if you repent of your sins and run to Jesus. That's the only catch if you humble yourself today. If you humble yourself today and you ask God for forgiveness, you turn to him in repentance, the truth is you will not
1: be left hopeless, that there is hope for you. The good news is if you cry out to Jesus right now, right now, right now
0: at this time, you will be saved. If you repent and ask for forgiveness, you will be saved. You can pursue all your dreams that this world has to offer, but in the end, you'll be left disappointed. All your savings, all your belongings, all your relationships is never enough. Only Jesus Christ is enough only Christ is enough therefore all alive comes out to one thing and that one thing and the answer right now is Jesus Christ
1: I am the way the truth and the life I am the way the truth and the life I am the way the truth and the life Jesus says no one comes to the Father except through me for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved Now you might, you will for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved simple as that nothing more, nothing less let's run to him let's run to him Right now, run to your Father. Remember why we are celebrating this Christmas, the season. That for love he has come. For love he has come. As he has rescued the centurion. As he has rescued the centurion's servant. As he has rescued the widow. As he has rescued the widow's son, the dead son. As Jesus has rescued and shown the truth to John the Baptist. As he has rescued this woman. This woman. This, woman, this sinful woman. He has come one by one. He has saved you, and He has a purpose for you. Don't run away from Him. Run to Him. Run to Him right now. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray What God, what is the point? God, you are my breath. You are my air. You are the air that I breathe. Without you, God, I am nothing. God, I could gain the whole world. God, 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 that is not anything. You're not in my life, God. I am nothing. God, I am nothing without you. You are my all in all. You are my king. You are my everything.
0: Seek, knock. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now it may open, it will be open which of you if your son or your children or your daughter asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake if you then though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him the problem is guys we're not asking we are not seeking we are not knocking we're not knocking on heaven's door We are not. We have given up. And the devil is happy. He's satisfied with your lukewarm, with your lukewarmness. He's satisfied with the way you are, with your casualness. He's satisfied. If you're being attacked left and right, know that there is a reason. The devil knows. He knows that you are a threat. In the kingdom of God. When you're attacked, listen to me carefully. When you're attacked, don't give up. Don't give up. Look forward. Move forward. Fall forward. For we all fall, we make mistakes, but don't remain
1: where you are. Don't remain in the gutter. Don't remain in your own filth. Wash yourself and continue on move forward be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and move forward ask seek and knock put it into action repentance is not just your attitude or just your mind but it's an action put it to action
0: it's the act of the will that's placed in action so act act today God did not just speak about love And just give us a text about love, and that's it. God literally sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, action. To die on the cross, action. To live a humble life, action. To show us what it means to love. For love, he came. Action. So put it to action man and woman of God, put it to action. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. Move forward. Move forward. So Father, we just want to thank you for reminding us that it's for love you came. God, Luke 7 is just one chapter in the Bible, and God, we could understand so much and know so much of who you are, God. Just what you did on the cross, what you did for us. Just like the woman, the sinful woman, God, we are on our knees, in our tears, God, wiping your feet with our hair. For God, for we have been forgiven much. Forgive us, God, of taking you for granted, taking your grace for granted, taking the blood that was shed for us for granted the act of the cross literally the cross meaning torture pain and sacrifice forgive us God for just forgetting the true meaning of what Christmas and this whole season is all about God it's not about the gifts it's not about the fun that we can have and the food that we're about to receive but it's about Jesus Christ it's about reminding ourselves of why you came Why you were born. The incarnation of Jesus Christ. The incarnate of God. It's for love. For love you came. So God, we just want to thank you for the ultimate sacrifice just for who you are, Father. There are no words or action enough to ever pay you back. You just call us to live for you and to live faithfully day in, day out who you have called us to be. So I pray, God, you will empower every individual who are here in this room. Every person who will hear this message, I pray you will empower them through Jesus Christ, through the power and the living Jesus Christ that we will be empowered today. For we serve a God who is not dead, but we serve
1: a living God A God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God who is not like shifting shadows. He will change yesterday, today, and
0: tomorrow. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Consistent. And will always be the same. Consistent for all of time. For all of eternity. So God, we make confession right now. That God, that you are good. That there is none that can compare to you. God, you are amazing. There's none that can compare to you and to your love. Encourage us today. For those who are just like the centurion. For those who are just like the widow, the son. Dead in our faith. For John the Baptist. We've been living faithfully, but we've been having some doubts. the sinful woman at the end they all found the answer the destination was the same it was you Jesus our journey may be different our seasons may change my season today may be different from the summer when we're in the mission team but Lord you are the same the destination is the same and you are the destination God we look to you Jesus Strengthen us. Strengthen this church. Help us to finish strong. Ah, oh, we love you. We need you. We need you so much. Strengthen our church. We love you. Pray all these
1: things in your precious son, Jesus Christ, and I pray. Amen.